All right. Uh, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter one. Peter got a lot of good things to say to us. We've been trying to kind of extract them little pieces at a time. But uh, last week in our study, we uh, finished the section in chapter 1 that ran from verse 5 through verse 7. Now in that passage, Peter challenged believers to continue growing in their walk with the Lord. He said, we were to give all diligence to this pursuit, making sure that we grow as Christians, which is the goal of the Christian life, obviously, to be conformed into the image of Christ. I mean, uh, growing in the Christian life is really what uh, it means to be born. Uh, whether you're talking about a physical baby or a spiritual uh, infant born recently in Christ, the whole purpose now is that we grow. It's largely our responsibility. That's why Peter's telling us in verse 5, give all diligence to this pursuit. And with that in mind, he then proceeded to tell us how. By admonishing us, actually the Greek is a, is a command. Add is actually a command in the Greek. Add to your saving faith, now that you're born again, seven characteristics or virtues. If we're going to be all God wants us to be, if we're going to grow in Christ and so on, uh, it becomes important that we add these things to our walk uh, as we grow. Second Peter 1 verse 5, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness agape love. After listing these virtues that become really a fruit uh, of the Christian life, uh, fruit in the sense that these are characteristics or qualities that grow uh, as we grow in our walk. Uh, they become kind of markers that let us know spiritual growth is taking place. After he says that, then he goes on in verse 8. He says, For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word barren is translated from a Greek word that means inactive, idle, or ineffective. It's the same Greek word that Jesus used uh, in the parable of the laborers that he gave in Matthew 20. Remember, uh, he likened the kingdom of God to a man who went out and hired laborers throughout the day. And verse 3, uh, Matthew 20, verse 3, and he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle, same Greek word, in the marketplace. Verse 6, about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, why have You've been standing here idle all day. Well, that's something the Lord Jesus would say to a lot of his people. Why are you standing here idle uh, all day? Well, Lord, nobody's told me what to do. Uh, I've told you to go into all the world and preach the good news. Get out there. You know, uh, you find in the Christian life is you just look to fill a need. I want to be used by God. I don't even know my gifts, though. Okay, well, look around. You start with whatever need there is. Uh, you know, putting out bulletins or work in the nursery or eventually a Sunday school teacher or a usher or greeter. You start out looking for the need. And when you meet that need and you're faithful in the little things, God says, I will lead you into greater things. But don't be idle. We have been saved to serve, not saved to sit. A lot of Christians, you know, well, I don't want to step out in the wrong direction. 
I'm just going to stand here until the Lord pushes me in a certain direction. Well, probably be standing there for a long time. Uh, so, so get up and begin to do something. So he talks about, you know, if you, if you abound in these things that Peter has just listed, you won't be barren, uh, idle, uh, and you won't be unfruitful. It's also a Greek word that basically means unproductive. Sometimes it's used in the scriptures, the New Testament, in connection with unbelief or apostasy. You know, Jesus did say that true believers would be known by their what? By their fruit. Uh, Matthew 7, he said that. Now, look, guys, that doesn't mean that all true Christians produce the same amount of fruit in their life. Some Christians are very fruitful, very fruitful. Others, well, you may have to scrounge around, look a little bit for a couple of shriveled grapes, but they're there. <laughs> if you look hard enough, you'll find some fruit, all right? The goal was to take a couple of shriveled grapes and begin to, you know, let the Holy Spirit, you know, really work it close to God and let him begin to bring forth more fruit, much fruit, and so on. That's the goal. Um, but Peter's point is, guys, if Christians pursue the virtues he outlines in verses 5 to 7, well, their lives are going to be increasingly productive, spiritually speaking, and that is the goal. Okay? Again, understand what Peter is saying here. He started out his epistle by talking about how God saved us. Going back to verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. The expression, the knowledge of him, well, he's talking about the knowledge that saved us, and of course, that's the gospel. The knowledge of Jesus that saved us was, of course, the gospel. And as we have said, this was only the beginning. I mean, God saved you. Yeah, he loves you and wanted to keep you from going to hell, but that wasn't the gist of it. That was only the beginning, not the end, all right? As we have said, this is only the beginning that God saved. That was only the beginning of God's plan for our lives. After he saved us, now the focus became our spiritual growth into maturity in Christ-likeness. That's what Peter is transitioning into now, all right? As we stay close to Jesus, abiding in him each day, well, these virtues or fruits, really, as I like to think of them, of Christ-likeness will continue to grow and develop in our lives. So guys, knowing Jesus in salvation, of course, and abiding in him daily produces these virtues. But the more we walk in these virtues, listen, the more our intimate knowledge of Jesus will grow. Uh, let me read to you verse 8 again out of the NIV. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure... They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Peter's making a very simple argument. As we grow in our knowledge of Jesus through the study of the Word and through fellowship with Him, well, it produces Christ-likeness. As we continue to walk in Christ-likeness, we continue to grow in our knowledge of Jesus Himself. And the more we grow in our knowledge of Jesus, the more we become like him. It's almost a symbiotic relationship with these two principles. Uh, they feed off of each other. One leads to the other and back to the other. And they, they're working together to produce maturity and a knowledge about Jesus that we're not going to be able to get anywhere else. Uh, let me just put it this way. Bible study, which is what you're doing right now, is the classroom. Okay, is the classroom. And going out into the world and actually ministering is the real life experience, all right? Both are needed 
to grow in godliness and in the knowledge of Jesus. Christians who just go to Bibles they would never serve, they are limiting their knowledge of Christ because Jesus Christ works through us. That's his desire. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit, okay? He saved us that we might serve him. And it's wonderful to sit in Bible study. That's important. But it can't be an end in and of itself. We, are, we learn to live. We study to serve. It's very important. A lot of Christians are really um, hindering their walk with God because they are not using their spiritual gifts in real life ministry. But, but a person who doesn't study the Bible and just runs out to serve, that's a problem too, okay? That's a problem too. It's kind of like, and I was thinking about uh, football. I used to play football in high school. And, you know, you'd have your classroom time where the coach would uh, outline plays on the blackboard. And, of course, if you didn't know the fundamentals when I first started, I didn't really know the fundamentals. So they would teach you the fundamentals in a classroom setting. But that wasn't all they did. Then we had to go out and actually practice on the field, all right? Real life experience. It's like the Bible says, okay? What does it say in Proverbs 22, verse 6? Teach a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. No. Train up a child in the way he or she should go. You see, training involves learning, but there's real life application with regard to training. You're not going to cultivate compassion for people unless you go out there and you talk with people that are hurting. Like Pastor Mike and Robin and down in, right now in North Carolina, uh, working with Samaritan's Purse, helping folks that have lives have been devastated by the hurricane down there. They're down there working physically to help them to get back on their feet by getting their uh, houses, uh, you know, stuff thrown in the garbage and then uh, and then uh, cleaning out the mold and getting it ready for drywall and things. That's love in action. Look at Jesus. It's all he ever did was minister to people. Can you imagine the Lord Jesus Christ sitting by a desk shuffling papers? That, that's not who he was. He was out there coming in contact with real people, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, people that society had written off, right? He was out there ministering, loving. The only way we're going to know Jesus fully is to study his word, abide in him daily, and get out there and uh, interact with people uh, that he has created in his image and likeness. But here's the thing. Peter says, oh, you know, if, you, if you're doing these things, you know, and, and you have this nice combination of learning and living and studying and doing, great. You're never going to be fruitless. You're, you're never going to be idle, all right? But conversely, we're talking about spiritual growth now. Conversely, living contrary to his character and nature is sin. Remember he said, add to your faith virtue? The Greek meant moral excellence, okay? Well, the opposite of moral excellence is immorality. He talked about self-control. Well, the opposite of self-control is carnality and self-indulgence. Uh, if a Christian lives with regard to that, I mean, you know, is not living a morally upright life, uh, living a carnal life and a life of um, indulgence and so on, this is going to break their fellowship with Jesus and cause their growth 
any of us who goes that way will cause our growth to cease and even to recede. I've seen a lot of Christians, unfortunately, that grew quickly and then at one point kind of walked away from the Lord and all the growth is gone and now they're back into the world, uh, many of them. So don't take for granted the blessing of fruit and things that God gives to you as you walk with the Lord and serve him. Realize that if you walk away from the Lord, that will all go away. The flesh will rise up again and you'll become once again, as Paul said in Romans 6, a slave to your flesh. That's why the, the Christian life is likened to a what? A walk, which implies motion. Christianity is not a static thing. You don't stand idly by. Because if you're not moving forward, you're sliding backwards. That's just the way it is. We don't live a static life. I know a lot of Christians think, well, I, I haven't been to church in you know a while, and I, but I, I'm okay with the Lord. No, you're not. You are not okay with the Lord. You think you're okay. You've convinced yourself you're okay. But if you're not walking with the Lord each day, faithfully and deliberately, you're going to be sliding backwards. It's just the way it is. You may not realize it at first. Kind of like a pastor I was listening to one day at a, at a pastor's conference, and he said that he um, was at the beach and he was going to go for a swim, so he threw his towel down and some of his other things and went in the water. And uh, when he swam back to shore, he noticed that his stuff was gone. He said, I was a little upset. I thought some people around her may have stolen my stuff. Until I stopped and looked a little bit at the situation and realized, wait a minute, this isn't where I, I got into the water. I, I get into the water way down there. He said, I drifted and didn't even realize it. A lot of Christians are drifting and don't even realize they're drifting because you can't put it in neutral and expect you're not going to roll backward, okay? I've used all the metaphors I'm going to use. <laughs> I like what Warren Worsby said. He said, the word translated idle, King James, or barren in the New King James, also means ineffective. The people who fail to grow usually fail in everything else. Some of the most effective Christians I have known are people without dramatic talents and special abilities or even exciting personalities, yet God has used them in a marvelous way. Why? Because they are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. They have the kind of character and conduct that God can trust with blessing. They are fruitful because they are faithful. They are effective because they are growing in their Christian experience. These beautiful qualities of character do exist within us because we possess the divine nature. We must cultivate them so that they increase and produce fruit in and through our lives, end quote. So verse 9, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Now, guys, in contrast to a growing Christian, there is the carnal Christian. Peter says that this kind of Christian is short-sighted, we would say nearsighted, is nearsighted even to blindness. The idea he's expressing here is that carnal Christians tend to be very myopic, spiritually speaking, in that they only see what is directly in front of them. What do you mean? Well, by that I mean they only see this life and its concerns and worries, and not the big picture, which is the kingdom of God. Didn't Jesus 
constantly try to elevate people's thinking. He met them on the level of the practical, even the mundane. They were hungry, he fed them. They were thirsty, he gave them water to drink. But he always used it then to elevate their understanding to their real need. He wanted them not to live at the level of earth, but to see things from eternity's perspective. And that's why he said things like Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the other things you need to live. God knows what you need to live. He made you. He knows you need food and you have to have shelter and clothing and so on. He'll take care of all that, Jesus was saying. But don't live at the level of the physical. Live at the level of the spirit. Let that be the consuming passion, as Paul put it. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. But carnal believers, well, they only see this life and all of its concerns and worries. They're so nearsighted that for all intents and purposes, they are almost completely blind to the things of God, the word of God, and the work of the kingdom of God. And as such, they become preoccupied with the cares of this life, which causes them to lay up more treasures for themselves on earth than in heaven. And that's sad. It really is. Again, verse 9, For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, nearsighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. There are many Christians in our country that seem to have forgotten that they have been redeemed and cleansed from the old life of sin they once walked in before they got saved, so much so that today, and I'm sorry to say I've seen some like this, their lives are almost indistinguishable from unbelievers. In other words, they're not growing. They're carnal believers. They're carnal Christians, not growing in Christ like this. You know, John the Apostle said in 1 John 2.28, he said, Many are going to be ashamed when Jesus appears. And I believe that John was talking about the rapture. I think he had in view there the church. All right? When the rapture happens, many Christians are going to be ashamed. I mean, they're going to be they're saved. They're saved by grace. So even though they have lived carnal lives on the earth, that's not going to affect their eternity in the sense that their salvation will be revoked. It's just that they didn't lay up for themselves treasures in heaven. They didn't allow themselves to be used by God the way he wanted to bring him glory and them rewards in heaven. This is a topic that Paul hit pretty hard in Ephesians chapter 4. Yeah, in other places, but I, I think of Ephesians 4, a section that really parallels what Peter is saying in our text this evening. So turn over to Ephesians 4, where I'd really like to spend the rest of the evening, because Paul is saying much the same as what Peter is saying, but Paul is kind of expanding on it, giving a more of a, a fuller exhortation and all with regard to this topic. So in Ephesians 4, uh, verse 1 just opens up, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. So that's a, a, just an exhortation for Christians to live godly lives, spirit-filled lives as, as opposed to carnal lives. Jump down to verse 17. This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance 
that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. He's talking about, yeah, he says the Gentiles. That's just another way of saying unbelievers, okay? Unbelievers. Don't live like unbelievers. You've been redeemed, okay? Don't, don't live like them. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians, he wouldn't be saying this if he didn't know Christians who, who were living like that, okay? He says, look, they're, they're in darkness. You know, they've been alienated from the life of God. Remember what Peter said? We have the divine nature once we got saved. The life of God is, is in us. Paul is saying, unbelievers don't have that. No wonder they live in darkness. They only have darkness inside. We have the light of God inside of us. What are you doing living like unbelievers, like you used to live, right? He said, verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, through the Spirit, obviously, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, listen, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, then starting in verse 25, and running through the end of the chapter, Paul goes on to give specific examples of sinful behaviors that we need to put away if we're going to live truly righteous and holy lives for God now that we are saved. So you can read that on your own. But tonight I just want to focus on verses 20 to 24. I know we're in Second Peter, so indulge me tonight. Homiletically speaking, you're not supposed to teach on a passage by teaching on another passage all night. Technically, it's not the way it should be done, but I don't really care. When, you, when you're teaching the Word of God, it's all good. Okay, it's all good. But tonight, I want to focus on verses 20 to 24 of Ephesians 4. Because again, guys, in them, Paul very simply and succinctly lays out for us the foundational truths involved in a life of sanctification, which again, Peter is also addressing in 2 Peter 1. Or in other words, guys, Paul and Peter are talking about a life of victory and fruitfulness. What's involved? Well, the first thing that's involved is we get saved. Pretty obvious. In fact, they both start with that. They both talk about, you think it would be so obvious, they wouldn't bring it up, but oh no. Both Peter and Paul start a section on sanctification and growing in the Christian life with, you know, covering all bases, make sure you are saved. And they talk about, well, now that you are saved, then add to, you know, your faith, these virtues, and so on. Paul does the same thing, a little different language, okay? Just so you understand where they're both coming from. Now, let me read this section again, starting with verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ. So, you know, there are people who are living like unbelievers because they are unbelievers. Don't live like that anymore. You have not learned that from Christ, to go on living the same old life as if you weren't redeemed. Uh, verse 21, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Well, you know, these two verses, in these two verses, Paul does the same thing that Peter did to start off his teaching on the believer's walk, growth, and holiness in the Christian life by telling us that salvation fundamentally has changed us. We are no longer the same people we once were. That's why we're not to live the same lives we once did. We are born again. We have been born of the Spirit. We are new creations. And not only that, Peter goes on to say, God has put his divine nature within, it, within us as believers. 
And as such, the goal of the Christian life is to emulate Jesus in our lives, to be like him. Again, 2 Corinthians 3.18. The whole goal of the Christian life is for us to yield to the Holy Spirit, who transforms us more and more day by day into the image of Jesus Christ. And guys, this is what Paul is saying in Ephesians 4, 20 and 21, when he talked about how we as Christians have, listen, learned Christ, heard him, been taught by him. He talks about the truth in Jesus. These are all different ways of expressing the idea of salvation. And listen, sanctification in the Christian life. It's all about Jesus. There is no way... We can grow and be all that God wants us to be if we don't make Jesus the very center of our lives. This is the problem. I mean, I don't understand churches that don't make the cross and the Lord Jesus Christ foundational and central in their whole ministry. I mean, they give the Lord lip service, but there's no mention of the cross in many of these churches today. In fact, in so many churches today, we've talked about this, they put man at the very center. And God seems to revolve around man now. Instead of Jesus being at the very center and our lives revolving around him. That's the only way we grow. And that's what Paul's saying here in Ephesians 4. He's saying, look, the only way you're going to be all that God wants you to be is learn of Christ. Listen to him. Be taught by him. The truth is in him. It's all about him. And then in verse 20. Verses 22 and 24, he continues to talk about our salvation, and in particular, what happened at the very instant we entered into it. Verse 22, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, verse 24, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, I don't want to lose you tonight. Please try to stay with me. I know that I can be a little confusing at times. Okay, I try very hard to try to present these things clearly and and simply. I don't always hit that mark, all right? But, But I want you to understand, and this is why I wanted to spend our time tonight in Ephesians 4. Paul says some things that have been misunderstood by many, but are absolutely critical in being all that we want to be, in, uh, God wants us to be in Christ. We have to know this, okay? When Paul says here to believers, you and me, that, you know, we have put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, and that you put on the new man, well, in the Greek he doesn't use imperatives, which are commands that we do. He uses infinitives, which describes things God has done for us. And that's why the Greek should be translated in verse 22, that you have put off concerning your former conduct, the old man. And verse 24 should be translated, that you have put on the new man. Now this shows up in the parallel passage in Colossians. Ephesians and Colossians are very similar. So if you're reading a portion of Colossians or Ephesians, and you'd like a little more clarity, Turn to the parallel passage in the other book and see if Paul in that epistle doesn't make it a little clearer. In Colossians 3, verses 9 and 10, the Greek is correctly translated. Again, this shows up in the parallel passage, even though in Ephesians you don't really see it. Sounds like something we have to do. But Paul is saying, no, God has actually done it when you got saved. Uh, Colossians 3, 9, 
Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. In Ephesians, it sounds like you must do it. In Colossians, we read, no, no, God has done it. He's already done it the moment you got saved. He put off the old man, put on the new, okay? Now, in just a second, you're going to think I'm contradicting myself, So, but hang in there, okay? See, again, guys, this is not something we do. It's something God has done the moment we receive Jesus as Savior. The moment you received Jesus, the old man was put off. Now, many commentators, here's where a lot of the confusion comes. Many commentators think that the old man is a reference to our old nature, our fallen sinful nature that we inherited from Adam. And so I'm amazed at the number of commentators who I know are brilliant men. Uh, sometimes we get sloppy. We read something, we just jump to the assumption, oh, here's what, here's what he's talking about. I, I've done it. I've done it. And, and as I'm studying, I realize, oh, I was wrong about that. I assumed something wasn't true. I didn't interpret it right because I, I, I jumped to an assumption about what the writer was saying. Well, we all do it, okay? And, and, and guys that write commentaries for a living, I mean, they, they're not exempt, all right? But um, a lot of them think, they, they read old man and they think, well, let's talk about the old nature. The old fallen nature we inherited from Adam. However, here in Ephesians 4.22, Paul defines the old man as your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Guys, the old man isn't... Why am I making a big deal about this? Because if you make what Paul is saying your old nature, you're going to have some real theological problems. And I'll show you why in a second. We have to interpret Scripture properly if we're going to benefit from the exhortations that we're, we're getting from Paul and Peter and the Lord Jesus with regard to principles that they are, are trying to drive into our hearts. We have to interpret these things properly. Otherwise, we wind up with faulty conclusions and a lot of other things that don't seem to work right. Okay, The old man, guys, isn't our old nature. Because our old nature, listen, doesn't grow corrupt, it already is corrupt. The old man isn't our old nature because the old nature doesn't grow corrupt. Paul says that these, this old man grows corrupt. Our old nature doesn't grow corrupt, guys. It already is as corrupt as it can be. There is no way we can put off the old nature. There's nothing in the Bible that says we can put off the old nature. The old nature is going to be with us until the rapture. Until the rapture. When it will finally be shed, when our physical body, what Paul called this body of death, is glorified. When we This is when our redemption will be complete. You know, you're redeemed in Christ right now, right? But you're not completely redeemed. What do I mean? Romans 8. We are still waiting for the redemption of our body and that won't happen until the rapture and when we are finally instantly caught up to meet the lord in the air and i am made like him as i see him as he is at that time the old nature will have been completely done away with it won't be an issue any longer for eternity i will never have a thought contrary to the will or the word of god ever again just so you know 
We can't put off the old nature. That's not what Paul's talking about. He knows. He taught us the rapture. That you can't put off the old nature until God does it when he raptures us and our physical bodies are glorified. He tells us in Ephesians that our old man is our former conduct, which we can and must put off every day. The old nature, guys, is just that. It's your nature, which you inherited from Adam. And it speaks of what we are in Adam, not what we do. So then the old man is not my old nature. The old man is my old conduct or old lifestyle. You know, the old desires, the old habits, uh, you know, the old actions that we used to walk in before we got saved. All this stuff now that should be every day crucified with Christ by faith. In other words, rendered dead and buried. You know, when we got saved, as we have already uh, talked about, an incredible thing happened to us. God didn't just patch us up and fix us up. We weren't like some old uh, Volkswagen that the Lord bought at some kind of, uh, you know, junkyard, right? He, you know, brought us home and he, you know, slapped some new brakes on us. Maybe it did, uh, you know, a uh, redid the pistons and, and, and valves and things like that. No, he made us brand new. We are now new creations, okay? New creations. And when he made us new creations, he gave us new hearts. God said that the old covenant was a problem because laws written on external tablets could never really affect the heart. And people might do those things because they fear consequences. But they won't really obey God of love. So what God did was, under the new covenant, he wrote his laws in our hearts. He actually gave us a new heart containing his laws. And now we obey from the heart because that is our new nature. We have new desires now, new goals. Uh, our values are different. Our worldview is different. All because we were saved and given the heart of God and the nature of God, right? In 2 Corinthians 5.17, you all know it. Let me just read it to you. Paul said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now that's positionally, not always practically. That's where we come in. And that's what Paul's driving home. That's what Peter is driving home. What God has done in our lives positionally, we need to now work out in our lives practically. That, that's really what they're getting at. You see, unbelievers, guys, don't have an old man. In other words, conduct before christ because they are not a new creation in christ they only have a fallen nature we unfortunately have two natures read galatians 5 they're warring with each other the flesh our fallen nature in adam warring with our new nature which god has given us and these are in constant conflict with one another so that we don't always do the things that we want to do but walk in the spirit that's our responsibility. You will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. But unbelievers only have a fallen nature, which drives them to live for their fleshly or their bodily desires. And that's all they know. That's all they know. Listen, God has given the human body legitimate drives for the survival of man and the perpetuation of the human race. I'll list these in the order of intensity. Okay, The air drive the water drive, 
the food drive, the sleep drive, the sex drive for procreation, and so on. When kept under, listen to me now, God gave the human body these drives. When kept under the control of the Holy Spirit, they are normal, legitimate, and beneficial. However, when these physical drives are allowed to be controlled by man's sinful fallen nature, they become perverted and destructive, what the Bible calls the lusts of the flesh. Thirst becomes drunkenness, hunger becomes gluttony, sleep becomes laziness, and sex becomes immorality. You could also add to that list of lusts, other lusts would include the lust for power, for pleasure, the lust for possessions, and so on. You understand what we're talking about. And when the lusts of the flesh, guys, are given into and acted upon, listen to me, they become the works of the flesh. Turn to Galatians 5. When the lusts of the flesh are given into and acted upon, they become the works of the flesh. Galatians 5, verse 19. Paul lists what we're talking about. He lists them. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders. Sounds like the evening news, doesn't it? (laughs) Revelries and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice these things... Look, even a Christian can fall into any one of these sins. But those who practice these things on an ongoing basis reveal that this is what their nature is they don't have a redeemed nature they are acting out the lust of the flesh in the sense of now they're giving into these lusts and the result is the works of the flesh all of this is what paul has said those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of god why because these things are evident just like peter listed fruit you know, the add to your faith virtue and this and that, self-control. Those are the fruit that comes from a person who knows the Lord and is living for the Lord and abiding in Christ. Those are spiritual fruit that results. Notice Paul didn't say um, spiritual evil fruit. Fruit is alive. Anything that is living has been given by God. God doesn't give the works. Of, these are dead demonic, wicked works. And they don't come from God. They're not fruit. There's no life in them. They're works. I can build things. I can do works that produce things. I can't make fruit. I can't produce anything that's living. Only God can do that. And so the fact that a person is bearing fruit, fruit of the Spirit and so on, indicates the life of God is in them. And all these works of the flesh, this is deadness. This is the result of those who are dead in trespasses and sins. And we look around our nation, we see a nation full of dead people. Dead in trespasses and sins, we see the works of the flesh everywhere. Notice in Ephesians 4.22, how Paul said that the conduct of unbelievers grows more and more corrupt over time according to the deceitful lusts. See it there? Ephesians 4.22. One author said this, and I quote, he said, I like the phrase deceitful lust because there is no greater deceit than lust. There is no greater deceit than the desire of the flesh to have something or someone. 
If I could just indulge myself, I would be happy, lust says. If I could just indulge myself, I would be so satisfied. No, the author says, you would be destroyed. And that's exactly what we're seeing today. And yet people are blind. Peter said it, Paul said it. They're blind to their true self. Look, we're in uh, next week uh, is, no, I'm sorry, two weeks uh, is the midterm. Can I just encourage everyone in this room to vote? Please vote. Drag some people with you to vote. Vote your Christian values. Sometimes it's the lesser of two evils, but because you can't have the ideal, don't do nothing and bring upon us the ordeal. Choose the lesser of two evils. If you have to hold your nose and vote, do it, okay? <laughs> vote your values, okay? Vote your values. I mean, we've all seen, I mean, we're bombarded every night with uh, commercials uh, for politicians who lust for power. Well, what politician with a lust for power hasn't told himself and us, I want to be elected to serve the people when they really want power to serve themselves? Not all of them, but many. How many men who work 60 to 70 hours a week to gain more and more material things have told themselves and their families that they're doing it for them? You want to do something for your family? Be around. Be around. Because your family, you know, your kids don't really want a new bike. They want a present dad. How many men in the workplace have taken a young female co-worker under their wings saying that they're only doing it to mentor them for success when really they're doing it for sex? Guys, all of these examples and dozens more we could come up with are examples of deceitful lusts which produce conduct that grows more and more corrupt over time. Pornography was always a problem in our country. But since the internet was invented, the floodgates have opened. The floodgates have opened. I heard a pastor say one time who has a ministry talking against pornography. He said the, the problem years and years ago, if a man wanted to look at pornography, he had to get in his car, go to some seedy part of town, risk being seen there in some adult bookstore. He'd buy some magazines, take them home, and after he finished looking at them, he consumed them. They were done. With the Internet, there is no end. It's a constant stream of ungodly, immoral images that never stop. They never stop. Look at how corrupt people have become, how corrupt our country has become over the last 15 or 20 years as more and more men, and now women. I'm hearing women are hooked on pornography. It was always the guys. You know what the women used to get hooked on? Romance novels, because women were more about romance and relationship. Guys were about bodies and images. Now it's gotten so bad, the women are getting involved in the pornography. I can't believe what's going on. But just look over the last 15, 20 years, all the people looking at pornography, look how perverted and corrupt they have become. Years ago, we had a lady in the church. and I just saw her not long ago at an event, but a wonderful, godly lady. She was married to a guy that he was, he was an unbeliever. All he did was look at pornography. All he did was drink and look at pornography. He got so perverted. I'm not even tell you what some of the stuff he started doing. He got so perverted, she had to, to, to divorce him. It was that bad. 
All because he kept feeding and feeding and feeding his mind with images. And don't you know, Satan doesn't want it to end there. My God, if a man's looking at child pornography, the most demonic of all pornography, after a while those images are not going to satisfy him. He's going to want to go and act it out. That's what Satan really wants. Just look at where our country has gone in the last 20, 25 years. Look at how bad things have gotten. We were involved in that. We, we were involved in deceitful lusts before we got saved. But you know what? At the moment we accepted Christ, a miracle happened. When we received our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, all of that changed. We passed from death to life and were translated, as Paul put it, immediately from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his marvelous light. And now we are no longer children of the devil living for the lusts of our flesh. No, we shouldn't be. Now we are the children of God who live to please him. Back in Ephesians 4, let me just read <clears throat> verses 22 to 24 again. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Guys, the order is significant. First you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And your former lifestyle is put off by God. Which is another way of saying you are now a new creation with new life in Christ. Then you are renewed in the spirit of your mind. Well that's. What you do is you come to Bible study and read God's word. Then you are renewed in the spirit of your mind. Actually, the Greek is you are constantly being renewed in the spirit of your mind as you continually feed on the word of God. In Ephesians 2, verse 3, Paul said, Among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. I've said this before, let me say it again. Most, most, vast majority of spiritual warfare is for control of your mind, for control of the way you think. That's why the Bible says that for all the years before you got saved, we were the slaves of Satan. We, we, were, we were floating downstream with the current of the world, Ephesians 2, right? That's the context here. And a big part of it was because we didn't know any better. I mean, the darkness, we were in the darkness, the darkness was in us. And for all the years before we got saved, everything we watched on TV or listened to, uh, music-wise, was all being, the God of this world designed it to subtly brainwash us every single day of our life to keep us thinking the way he wanted us to think. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If the devil can control the way you think, he can control the way you live. That's just all there is to it. And that's why when we get saved, Paul the Apostle says the very first thing you do is don't, uh, Romans 12, 2, don't be conformed any longer to this world's way of thinking. I'm paraphrasing. But be transformed by the renewing of your, what? Mind. The way you work out your salvation. The way you begin to see the fruit of the new nature inside you, God's nature. You have got to reprogram the way you think about things. And primarily the way you think about sin. And there's no other way to do it than by reading the Word of God, studying the Word of God. And that's exactly what Peter told us, didn't he, in verse 5 of 2 Peter 1? He said, to your virtue add knowledge. 
We talked about that. The word Peter used for knowledge is an intellectual knowledge that comes through study. And from the context, he's talking about our knowledge of the word of God. Peter is telling us that we must be students of God's word if we're going to be able, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to live the lives God wants us to live so that we can be the people God wants us to be. There is no such thing as a strong, victorious, fruitful Christian who's not in the Word. There's just no other way to put it. You cannot be growing in Christ if you're not in the Word of God. I'm speaking to the choir. God bless you guys for being here. But look around. There's a lot of folks in our church who are not here, who could be here. They don't have other commitments. They're not working right now. They could be here, but they have... And don't run out and say, Pastor, Phil talked about you Wednesday. Don't... (laughs) Just just pray. Just pray. Where were you Wednesday night? You know, Pastor Phil was talking about you. No. That's not going to do anything good. Just pray for him, okay? But Peter is telling us that we must be students of God's word if we're going to be able to be all God wants us to be. That's just the bottom line. Paul is telling us that renewing our minds as Christians is essential if we want to become like Jesus, which can only happen as we feed on the word of god which causes you guys think about this is you read the word of god think think about what you used to read before you got saved what you used to watch before you got saved what was entering in your mind before you got saved you were thinking the thoughts of the world the thoughts the devil had placed in the world again because he wanted to keep you under his control when you start reading the word of god you begin to think like God. No longer like the world thinks. You get reprogrammed. Okay? Uh, unbrainwashed. Okay? Reprogrammed. And guys, this will begin to manifest itself in a new way of living where you begin to put on the old man created according to God in righteousness and true holiness every day and begin to walk in that newness of life. Now right here I said you're going to think I'm contradicting myself. Right here, you might be thinking, I thought you said that God already put on the new man when I got saved. Now you're saying, I got to do it. You're you're confusing me. I'm sorry. It is true that when you give your heart to Christ, God put on the new man, new conduct, a new heart to live differently. God put on the new man instantly at that moment that you got saved, positionally, positionally. But now we must put on the new man practically every day. In other words, just because God put off the old man and put on the new man when we were converted doesn't mean that we do nothing. Uh, And that from that moment on, we never sin and live a perfect Christian life. Obviously, that's not true. We still must apply that truth by faith every day. Listen, by walking in the Spirit. Here's a good verse that puts the positional and the practical back to back. Galatians 5.25 If we live in the Spirit, that's salvation, that's positional. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Just because the Lord has saved us, made us new creations in Christ, doesn't mean we automatically live as new creations in Christ. It just happens, you know, without us even trying. If that were the case, the epistles would probably be a couple of paragraphs. Most of the epistles are admonishing us to be faithful, to be diligent, to walk 
uh, in the spirit, that we not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There's all these admonitions about our responsibility. Even though God saved us and gave, made us a new creation, put his divine nature inside of us, we have a responsibility. We've, we've talked about this, okay? Th this tremendous spiritual truth, don't, don't miss this. Uh, I believe I, I got this from, from author Warren Worsby. I, I loved it, okay? Because he, he says, look, what we're just talking about now, that a person can be saved and yet not really live the life that God wants them to live, he said, this tremendous spiritual truth is illustrated in the miracle of the resurrection of Lazarus in John 11. He said when Jesus arrived at Bethany, Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Uh, there was no question that he was dead, okay? I mean, as we talked about, there are no degrees of death. You're either dead or you're not dead. But if there wasn't any degrees to death, this guy was about as dead as a guy could get. Four days in the grave, that's pretty dead, Okay? So Jesus comes to the tomb. Lazarus has been in there four days. That is the doornail. And by the power of his word, what did Jesus say? Lazarus, come forth. Jesus raised his friend from the dead. But when Lazarus appeared at the door of the tomb, listen, he was wrapped in grave, in grave clothes. So Jesus commanded, loose him and let him go. Worsby said he had been raised in new life, but he couldn't walk in newness of life until the grave clothes were removed. He goes on to make the application. He said, many Christians are like that. They have been raised in newness of life, but they're still bound by the grave clothes of the old life, the old habits, the old areas of bondage. So they can't walk in that new life. They can't walk in that new life. I've said this before. Let me say it again. Many Christians today are betweeners. Betweeners. What, what does that mean? They live between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. They're betweeners. In other words, they believe in the cross and are saved, but they're not walking in resurrection life and power. Turn back to 2 Peter 1 as we bring it to a close. See, the fault is not God's. If I am not walking in victory and fruitfulness, I can't say to God, Lord, you didn't give me what I needed. That is absolutely untrue. I'll take you back to first, 2 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. Let me read it to you out of the NLT. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. God is saying, don't push that off on me. I've given you everything you need to be all I want you to be. If you're not, something's wrong in your walk. Of course, God knows what it is. We have received all of this by coming to know him, Christ. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human loss and cravings. You say, but, I'm, but why then am I not experiencing that more in my life? That's a good question. It's a good question. Why am I not experiencing more of what Paul is talking about here in my life? Let me ask you a question. Do you really believe that all you have to do to get to heaven is to believe in Jesus Christ? Do you, do you really believe that? Every Christian who was asked that question would immediately say, yes, of course I do. And I agree. Why then don't you believe the same thing with regard to the control of sin in your life? In other words, if you were saved by faith, 
in the completed work of Christ. Do you think now you can live the Christian life in your own strength and hard work and determination and New Year's resolutions and so on? Paul addressed that in Galatians 3. Foolish Galatians, having begun in the Spirit, you were saved by the power of God's Spirit when you put your faith in Christ. What makes you think you can now live and perfect your Christian life in the energy of your or strength of your own flesh? You are saved by faith. You have to live by faith. Isn't that what Paul said in Galatians 2.20? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Guys, if you're going to be able to put off your old sins and put on new habits, new conduct, a new way of living, then it must be by faith and through a conscious decision to walk with God every day. The power is his, listen to me, but the will and the faith, that's ours. Fundamentally, Paul is saying that for the Christian there must be a break with the past. Jesus isn't just added to our lives. The old life dies. It's crucified with Christ. And now Jesus becomes our life, our new life. So putting on the new man has a great deal to do with both our thinking and our conduct. God wants each to be patterned after Jesus, the word of God, and not model after the world. One pastor said, putting off the old life and putting on the new is like taking off an old suit of clothes and putting on some new ones. Like when a man gets out of prison and the first thing he does is what? Change his clothes. The first thing that we should do as Christians every day is to change our clothes. We start our day. We, the old conduct, that, that's in the closet and gone. Every day we put on Christ. Remember that God clothed us with his righteousness. And now by faith, I appropriate that righteousness every day that I might live for him. All right, we're done. Let me just say this to set this up for next time. Living a godly life, guys, listen, doesn't earn us salvation or even allow us to keep our salvation. But what it does do is provide us with, listen, the assurance of salvation. And without the assurance of salvation, listen, we cannot hope to be victorious as Christians. And the devil knows it. That's why you want to come back next week. Because Peter dovetails into that, starting with verse 10. He talks about why it's so important to live the way we've been talking about. Not only will allow God to use you and bless you, that's true. But it's going to safeguard you against the condemnation of the devil who's going to want to make you think you're not a Christian. So he can pummel you to death with condemnation. And Peter wants us to not fall into that trap. So next week we will continue on. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, which is truth. Thank you, Lord, if we just take a little time to study and dig out these principles, they will really enrich our lives and become the foundation that propels us into victorious Christian living. Lord, we ask that you would continue to bless these studies in your word as we seek to mine these truths each week. Give us grace to do that, and Lord, especially the grace to apply them into our lives, that we walk in the light of these truths. Father, we ask all this 
In Jesus' precious name, amen.